of you know, we have been working through a sermon series mostly on Genesis 3, uh, through the season of Lent. Um, And so this week, we're keying in on um, our relationships across, our relationships with one another. Uh, Two weeks ago, we dealt with our relationships down with creation, the ways that our bodies are prone to breaking down and failing, the ways that we're at war with the land, that it works back against us, preventing us from having all of the provision that we would have had if we had remained in the garden with Adam and Eve. Um, Last week, we dealt with the ways that our sin fragments us internally, um, that we, by guilt and shame, um, and by the the breakdown of our will, the ability to know and to do what is right, um, are at war with ourselves, that we can't always find not not just what is right, but the the will and ability to do it. Um, This week, we're going to look at the ways that sin breaks down our relationships with one another. I invite you to hear this word. We'll pick up in verse 11 of Genesis 3, uh, and we'll read for just a little bit. God said to Adam and Eve, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between her offspring and yours. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning comes from a short passage in the book of Acts, uh, where we get a picture into the relationship of uh, Paul and Barnabas. Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Come, let us return and visit the believers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul decided not to take with them one who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in the work. The disagreement became so sharp that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and set out, the believers commending him to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray yet again. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm trying to remember to drink water so I don't have a coughing fit in the middle of the sermon. But if I do, I'm okay, I feel fine. It's just springtime and it's messing with me this morning. Many of you know the name Aaron Rodgers. If you're not a football fan, he's the quarterback who replaced Brett Favre with the Green Bay Packers. He's been the most valuable player in the NFL 
twice. He led his team to Super Bowl victory and was named the MVP of that game too. Between 2013 and 2019, he'll make $110 million to play football. Before you count anything for all of the commercials that he does, just this year he'll get about $7.5 million for all those State Farm commercials you've seen. He's dating a beautiful A-list Hollywood celebrity, and he's led his t- he led his team to the NFC Championship game just this year over our own beloved Dak Prescott. There are thousands of boys and young men who would love to be Aaron Rodgers. Success, money, fame, Olivia Munn, he's living the dream, at least as it's presented to us. But it broke in the news back in January that he hasn't spoken with his family in more than three years. There's all kinds of gossip about why this is the case. The people of the United States are so captivated by his fame and his good fortune and his success that we want to know about the pain of his broken relationships. But that pain is real, regardless of the cause. When asked about it, his dad said, It's complicated. Fame complicates things. Relationships are always complicated, really. Especially the estranged ones. If it were simple, we'd be able to simply work it out and go along with the Jolly Luck Club. The statistics show that 27% of people will be estranged, that is, not talking to their family or a member of their family for a significant portion of time. One in four people will be estranged from their deepest, closest family relationships. One in four. My dad has a friend, um, we'll call him Steve, and one day when I was a teenager, he started talking about his ex-sister. I was very confused. I didn't know you could have an ex-sister. I knew about ex-sisters-in-law, and I asked if that's what he meant, but he actually meant his sister. He had, as best he could, exiled her from the family. You see, when his mom died, there was an inheritance to bicker over, and bicker they did. It wasn't just about the cash value of things. It was about the stuff and the memories and the legacy of their mom. Who would get to inherit the legacy of that parental love? And that legacy became more important than the ongoing sharing of familial love. To continue in the love that had been provided by their mom was not an option because they had gotten so at odds with one another about what she had left behind. I wish I could say that this is an uncommon story, but even in my own family, it hasn't proven to be. We're inclined towards broken relationships. Broken relationships with one another. Those who are close to us or should be, and those that we find rivalries with in other ways. It's not always about ways that we harm one another directly that drives us apart. Sometimes it's just about a desire for something different, chasing after something different that leads us away from those that we love. Zach Brown sings a song that goes like this. She wonders if, his, if her love is strong enough to make him stay. She's answered by the taillight shining through the window pane. And the chorus goes, you're a rambling man. You're never going to change. You've got a gypsy soul to blame and you were born for leaving. You were born for leaving. Sometimes it's not brokenness in that particular relationship that drives us apart. 
It's not what we've done to one another to be angry with one another or to build up resentment or anything else. It's just a desire to chase after some other kind of satisfaction. Chasing after something else that creates a broken relationship and separates us from one another. And sometimes this brokenness seems to have lasted our whole lives long. We don't even know who we are without knowing this pain and this hurt that drives us. I've told you all before that one of my favorite movies is The Princess Bride. And one of the characters, Inigo Montoya, has a rage for vengeance that's been burning in his life all life long. Every time he tells the story, he says, I'm going to find the six-fingered man and I'm going to tell him, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And he said this so much that when he finally meets and encounters the six-fingered man, he can't say anything but this over and over again until it's almost comedic even as they fight to the death. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Inigo Montoya's separation from his dad and death has driven him into a broken relationship that drives his life for the rest of his existence until he finally gets vengeance and says, I don't even know who I am anymore. This kind of human relationship breakdown is often built on the other two kinds of brokenness that we've already discussed. Because we know that we're mortal, and because our family members and those that we love most deeply have died or will die, because we know that there aren't always enough resources and the resources that exist have to be worked really hard for, because we know that life ends and that there's not always enough, we're inclined to do terrible things to one another. Because our relationship with creation is broken, we do our best to hedge ourselves in and protect ourselves however we can. And then there's also this component of shame and guilt, of the breakdown of our wills to do the right thing. You see, when we're ashamed about something and somebody starts to press on it or near it, our inclination is almost always to respond in anger. It's easier to be angry than honest. So as we read this story of the curse that Eve receives, did you notice how it starts? It starts with Adam saying, it wasn't me, it was Eve. And then Eve saying, it wasn't me, it was the serpent. Nobody can take relationship, can take responsibility for what they've done, but it's worse than that. Adam doesn't just not take responsibility. He blames the one who was supposed to be his partner, his helpmeet, the one who lived with him and abided with him all the days of his life. And he just threw her under the bus. And then when we get to the curse that Eve receives, it starts with some words about the serpent and how life will be hard for him. But when we get to Eve, the first thing that she hears is that childbirth is going to be hard. From the very beginning of parenthood, that relationship is going to be marked by pain. The, the life of a mother and a child is already characterized by pain, even at birth. But it's not just Eve and all of her descendants and Adam as well. It's Adam and Eve too. 
No longer will they be equal partners abiding together in the garden, but her desire will be for her husband, and he will rule over her. Rather than a relationship of partnership, we have a relationship of oppression. We have a relationship that's unhealthy and unequal. This is what it looks like for sin to come in and to start to tear apart even those of us that were made to be together quite literally. And then there's Paul and Barnabas. This isn't that something that just stays in the garden behind, but continues to affect even the church. Barnabas wants to bring along John Mark. He says we should forgive him and bring him back into the fold. And Paul says, he abandoned us. I can't trust him and I'm not traveling around with him anymore. Both of their positions seem to make sense from a Christian perspective. There's a lot at stake in Paul's ministry. If he can't trust John Mark, surely John Mark can find a way to be employed elsewhere. And Barnabas says, we have to bring him along. And because they can't agree, they go their separate ways. Certainly the Lord uses this. They continue to do the work of the Lord throughout their missionary journeys. But the way the story is told, there's real pain. Even here, even in the church, which at the beginning of Acts is characterized as those who share everything and pray together and break bread together and confess their sins and all of those things. And now even Paul and Barnabas are headed their separate ways. The brokenness of human relationships affects every aspect of our lives. We can't escape it. Even as we seek reconciliation and even as we seek how to be faithful, this part of the curse which Jesus is redeeming us from still continues to haunt us. This brokenness looks like a lot of different sorts of things. One is blame shifting. We talked about that with Adam and Eve. Our inclination to say, well, it's not really my fault. I'm not really to blame here because of any number of other factors. You should go talk to X or Y or you should look at my upbringing. It's not really my fault. And we push aside our own responsibility and our own agency in what we do. But it goes even deeper than just that. Because we have a sense that there is a limited quantity of food and a limited quantity of resources and we have to work really hard breaking our backs and sweating from our brows to get those resources, there's always a desire for more. We call this greed. And it drives us apart from one another because we elevate resources and money, satisfaction, comfort, and security over and against our relationships with each other. As we yearn for security in an insecure world, for pleasure in a world of danger and suffering, we're inclined to accumulate all the things that we think can provide those things for us. And our greed sometimes turns into other things like stealing, like theft, like robbery, like taking that which isn't ours because we feel that we don't have enough. Maybe we actually don't have enough because others aren't sharing and offering in ways that they should. It also leads to many kinds of oppression. It looks like trying to find labor as cheaply as you can so that you don't have to bear the brunt of the curse of hard work, but others can do it for you. 
and you can earn capital off of what they do. It also looks like just letting others be your servants all the time and never feeling called to serve yourself. So there's greed, but there's envy too. That tenth commandment that we get in the Old Testament, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house or his ox or his wife or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. But we're inclined towards this too. We build up so much resentment about the jobs that other people have, about the income that they get, about their cars or their kids or their perceived joy or their success, that we can't celebrate with them and the good things happening in their life because we're so upset that it's not happening to us. And this too drives us apart from one another. There are other things like abuse and murder and war. The ways that we actually physically harm one another. We take bodies that were meant to glorify God and to share love with one another and we use them to cause pain. Deep pain. This isn't just true of Adam and Eve's relationship of him ruling over her, but their kids, Cain and Abel. Cain is the first to commit murder, to actually cause such harm to another human that they die. And this is built on his envy that Abel's sacrifice was better than his own. As we deal with all this other brokenness, we're inclined to start being dishonest about it. Though we shall not lie, we do it anyway. In a world of guilt and shame, we cover up any way that we can. And this is one more way that we provide a barrier between us and others that they may not know the truth. And then when our lies are exposed, the erosion of trust that happens drives us further and further apart. As all of this happens, we start to build up grudges against one another. We harbor resentment about the things that others have done to us without recognition of the, of the ways that we've participated. And we stop talking to each other. We stop seeking out ways to find healing and we decide that life is just better if we do it separately. And we rebel against authority too. This relationship that begins with pain at childbirth continues. We don't know how to honor our fathers and mothers any longer, our biological ones or the ones in the faith. We think that we know better. We have enough pride like Adam and Eve to think that there's no real wisdom from the older generation to offer to us, and we rebel. And they don't know what to do when their wisdom is no longer wanted or needed. All of this brokenness, this brokenness that permeates our lives and our families and our day-to-day existence, this is the reason that we have professions of counseling and attorneys and social workers. These are the people that work to try to find ways to heal relationships and seek justice in the midst of really complicated dynamics. Lawsuits are a statement that someone must be to blame for my pain. And these sorts of brokenness don't just apply to those that are directly harmed. Those that we leave or those that we lie to or those that we hurt. 
but they also filter out into all other kinds of relationships. There's no way that you can see this more clearly than the way that divorce impacts children. The parents can no longer abide together and share parenting responsibilities. The brokenness in their relationship prevents them from abiding with both of their parents in a way that they can continue to oversee them and love them and raise them. That's the clearest way that we can see it, but it works its way out in everything. One sibling rivalry in the midst of a family can make it hard for the whole family to get back together. It's just going to be too complicated and contentious, and it's easier just to go our separate ways and do our own things. And sometimes broken relationships cause us to project what we feel from those relationships onto other relationships, such that someone else bears the brunt of our anger, our disappointment, our frustration, our failure, our grief. When things are hard at work, it's hard not to take that home and take it out on your family. And when things are breaking down at home, it's hard not to take that out on your coworkers at work. My life is affected by this brokenness. Your lives are affected by this brokenness. And instead of finding a way to enter into this and seeking healing, our inclination is to be more concerned with the celebrities whose lives we like to just look at and marvel at. You see, why are we interested in the family life of Aaron Rodgers? It gives us an escape from dealing with the pain in our own families and friendships and church and otherwise. If we can look at somebody else's life who's maybe a little bit worse, or at least they have the deck stacked for them to be successful, and it's still not working out for them, we can feel a little bit better about ourselves for a minute. But it doesn't, at the end of the day, actually lead us to healing. That looks like something different. It looks like salvation, which is always reconciliation. Salvation is the Lord taking the broken pieces of creation and of ourselves, of our relationships with one another, and even with the Lord himself, and piecing it all back together. This is why it's impossible for salvation to be about just me and God. It's not just about my prayer life and my ability to relate to God and confess Jesus as Lord. It's about learning to live an integrated life. It's about allowing the Lord to come into the deepest wounds of our spirit and leading us into reconciliation. That's not something that we'll always get to experience in this life. Not every broken relationship is going to be healed. Not every other person wants to be healed in the ways that we seek in Jesus. And that will hurt. But we are called all the same to seek to be reconciled to one another, even as we're reconciled to God. Not to hide it, not to lie about it, not to lash out in anger, not to try to hide ourselves from the curse by oppressing others, but by living in a way that all of us can cooperate in love in the midst of truth and hope. This is what we look for even as we live in the brokenness and the messiness of our lives. Will you pray with me? Lord, it's hard in church even to be honest about the ways our relationships are broken. 
It's hard for us to say that it's difficult to get along with mom or dad, or we don't know what to do with our kids, or our friends that we trusted betrayed us, or that those we've made deep covenants of love with have abandoned them and failed to keep them. We don't know how to talk about these things, Lord, because we have not yet given them to you. It might be because we don't trust you that you could heal the deep pain and brokenness of our own relationships. Maybe you could do that for someone else, but you don't know how complicated it is for us. So Lord, we ask that you would saturate us in your love, your love that reconciles us and starts piecing all the broken bits of our lives back together in such a way that we have clear discernment of what it looks like for us to act in faith and hope and love with our neighbors and with our families. We pray that any brokenness that exists among our own congregation that you would work on to heal. We pray the same for our families and for our community, for our nation and our world. We live often at odds with one another, in competition with one another. So bind us together by your spirit of love that we might experience and know, trust and believe in a different way of being, in true communion with you and each other. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.